FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to A Conversation with Pastor Brad Cummings. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And tonight is Friday, November 10th in the year 2023. Tonight we have an amazing conversation. It's been a while. With Pastor Brad Cummings, we're going to get into a lot of things, including the, the biblical framework of what's going on in the Middle East. Now, Patriots, before we begin, one thing is very clear is we are dealing with a global network of psychopaths, and they're doing everything they can to tear us down and to keep us on our knees. Part of that is a new financial system that they're rolling out to mandate that we have to put our money into a digital currency. It's known as a CBDC. And with that, they'll get access to everything we do and control every bit of the way we spend. So you need to protect yourself, in particular, protecting your, your retirement savings. To do that, you need to get them in, backed by precious metals. Precious metals are the one thing to keep things solid and steady in the midst of chaos, and there's a lot of chaos right now. So reach out to Birch Gold. To do that, you need to text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. Again, BARDS. B-A-R-D-S to 989898. Text them and you'll receive a free info packet and read through it. Get to, get to be informed on what's going on and then give them a call. Once you do that, they're going to be able to walk you through how to set up a tax-deferred precious metals IRA. And if you already have a 401k or an IRA, they're there to help. That's quick and easy. They can transition it and there's no cost to you. So again, text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S to 989898. Bards, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. Birch Gold has been with us for well over a year. They've taken care of hundreds of patriots. They're doing a great and incredible job, always five-star ratings. So check them out. You'll be very happy you did. So again, Bards, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 for your free information packet today. Well, patriots, it's been quite a while since we've had Pastor Cummings on. He was at Bards Fest. We've all been busy, but he has a really amazing insight that he's going to bring today on many of the things going on in the Middle East. Now, you know where I stand on this, and he's going to be confirming much of that, that much of what we're witnessing in the Middle East has nothing to do with end of end times theory or revelation. Rather than what we're really witnessing here is a manipulation of text to try to bring the world into a state of war. Now, this is a critical time, and people have to have an awareness that religion and the institutions, the great American religious enterprise, has been corrupted. It was designed to do exactly what we're doing right now. This corrupted thinking of the Revelation end time theory was set up to bring us to a state where they could then throw us into total global chaos, create mass death and blood sacrifice to roll in their system of one world government. This has been a long plan. And what we're seeing in the Middle East is much a part of this. And the governments of Israel and, and the governments of, of the Middle East are not that different, I hate to tell you. They're all godless and soulless, and frankly, many of them are being driven by the bloodlines to take us back to Cain. So this tonight's going to give us some deep insight into what's going on. This is a long interview, about two and a half hours. 
So instead of dividing it into two, I decided to run it all in one block. It's difficult to divide these sorts of interviews. They're worth staying with. Even if you can't listen to it all now, you've got it on the podcast. You can go back and listen to the rest later. But definitely a, a worthy conversation to listen to and learn from because Brad brings it tonight and brings fire to a whole bunch of topics. He's an amazing mind. He's gifted. And he really has a deep insight into the biblical framework of our world today. Now, one last thing, Patriots, before we go into the interview. Remember that we are also dealing, as we deal with psychopaths, they're willing to do just about anything. So be aware of that. Prepare your home accordingly. And the way we do that in this particular instance is making sure that your electronics and your systems are protected. You need EMP Shield. EMPShield.com is where you'll get that. EMPShield.com. You can use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. You'll get $50 off in free shipping. These devices are designed to protect you from an EMP level 1, 2, or 3, lightning strikes, and solar flares. And they can go on your home. They can go in your RV. They can go on your ATV, your cars. We have them in our, in our lives, and it's, it's worth every bit of it. It's a great insurance policy in a time of uncertainty and unknowns. So, again, EMPShield.com, EMPShield.com. Use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S and take advantage of the great savings of $50 off and free shipping and do it today. All right, Patriots, without further ado, let me introduce you again, as we have had him on the show many times before, Pastor Brad Cummings. The Gutenberg Bible was the foundation of the American Revolution. And I truly believe that the Founders Bible is the foundation of the American Revolution 2.0. And it's, it's interesting because of the number of people that when they hear about it and start to read it, it is a Bible that they literally take in their hands and they're compelled to read. And I think you can, I, and I can both agree that that is not a normal reaction for scripture. No, I, well, I mean, I think so many people have not had our history unveiled to them. And what the founders Bible does that's so fantastic is it really is. Um, it's taken from original source documents, not just people's opinion. And it's kind of laying it out. And and when I when I first got exposed to it, and I had 16 units of master's degree, you know, American church history. So I should have known this stuff. They were showing me things I'd never known. The, the, the founder guys, they they were rock star pursuers of God. And the reason they kind of get tagged as like oh deists or secular stuff is the institutional church of the day just did not satisfy their hunger for truth. And so it's not that they, oh, oh, you know, it's like they would go to church for putting on a good show and demonstrating to others that that mattered. But the truth is, is their passion exceeded what was being fed from the pulpits. I mean, it's like Benjamin Franklin just got bored. And um, but he, he he was the publisher for George Whitfield, the guy, the guy that basically prepped the entire eastern seaboard to receive the, the first great awakening. We wouldn't have had a revolution if it wasn't for those guys. I mean, um, Franklin for 40 years um, sowed faithfully into the people, preparing them for a time in which they could be free. Wow. And you're just going like, that guy, the only time he ever said he was a deist when he was 15. At 21, he, he purposes to come up with a system of how to live a sinless life. If that's a deist, give me a thousand of those and we'll take over the planet. <laughs> I mean, I just go like, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't understand the narratives that I was fed, like, you know, public school education. You're just go like, oh, okay, guys in wigs, whatever. I guess they had a lot of slaves. 
we wouldn't have had the abolition of slavery if it wasn't for these guys going like, that's not okay. God is not okay with this. And they figured out a way, how do we plan to overturn this? Because right now, you know, we got a couple of holdouts that if we don't all stand together and fight against the tyranny that's trying to crush us, we'll all just get crushed. And we never should have won the Revolutionary War. I mean, it's like we're fighting well above our rank and weight. And it's like you can't explain the existence and the birth of this nation apart from the hand of God, which was saying, I want freedom for everyone, not just for the gentry class, not just for a few. And it wasn't ever about some little racial group. It was like it was for the planet. This was a light for the nations. And... What's so crazy is, you know, they did not have the nation of Israel in existence when they were first getting the Bible. So when they're reading through the stuff of Scripture and they come across references to the Israel of God or the Jewish nation, there wasn't one to look to. So how did they interpret that? Well, they did just the way anyone else would. They saw the essence of what was revealed, at least in the New Testament, clearly. This was about a spiritual nation. This was a chosen people that was not about race. This was, a you know, they saw themselves like Abraham, like, you know, a pilgrim, a sojourner in the land, looking for the city whose builder and maker was God. And they said, we're on that same pursuit. They just... They just line themselves up in the continued pursuit of what is God doing in the earth and how do we participate in it. And so they laid a foundation for this nation based upon how the scriptures had impacted them. And they knew that man's heart was despicably evil. So they tried to decentralize power. And I just, when I look at all that, I just go like, my gosh, if we would follow this, we would return sanity and freedom to people. We don't have to have this constant civil war of our culture of, you know, one side trying to destroy the other. It's like they knew you'd never have anything that would work unless it was a we the people all together solution. And they never agreed on everything. They, they knew they wouldn't. It wasn't it, that didn't matter. But we had to dignify one another and we had to work together so that I could be free and you could be free. And then. We'll let the free market of ideas and fruit determine what happens in, in culture. That works. It does. Talk to me a little bit about the concept of this being the new Jerusalem. Because I think this is a good segue where we want to go today. Because our, to, yeah. our founding fathers didn't have Israel as we know it. They, and they, as to my reading, they, have, they saw this as the new Jerusalem. Because... The scriptures, and as you look towards the end of days, we're talking about a spiritual reality. It's like the whole Old Testament. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians talks about what was written down for us. And, you know, the lessons that we, we look at the people of, of Israel and, and their journey. Paul says, this was written down for us upon whom the ends of the age have come. They're types and shadows. You know, if you look at the book of Hebrews, you know. I'm 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 fond of saying if the Jews were the focus of everything, it would have been called the book of Jews. But it wasn't. It was called the book of Hebrews. Because like Jews and Israelites 
we mushed them together because of the modern nation state as we rebuilt a nation state for the Jewish nation. We then called it Israel. But that's like saying we're going to regather the people of France, but we'll call it Germany. They're two totally separate things. But we've been taught the Bible like, well, then they're, they're, they're equal sign. They're not. And, you know, I don't think I that only came clear a couple months ago for me. I'm going like all my life is like that was sort of the, the basic premise. So when you look at the new Jerusalem, God's not talking about a racial people. He's talking about that city whose builder and maker is God. The original Jerusalem was built by Noah and Shem. Melchizedek, we're told in Hebrews, it's kind of like Paul says, you know, I'd love to tell you more about Melchizedek, but you guys are just babes, so you can't eat steak, so we don't have a knife to cut this yet. And, you know, the book of Jasher goes, goes right to the chase. And the book of Jasher is mentioned in the Bible twice, but we didn't have it at the time of the canon. And so though it's mentioned and it's, you know, it's like if it's mentioned twice, that's like, you know, everything, let everything be established by the presence of two witnesses. It's mentioned twice in Old Testament. So even if it never made the canon and they had it, it's mentioned there in its good historical context. The book of Jasher tells us all the stuff that we're kind of missing in Genesis. It's like we have the, we have the cliff notes of an awful lot of history from Genesis to, to Joshua we don't have a daily triptych. It's like you you jump all of a sudden from Noah and Shem in the flood and the post-flood, and then all of a sudden you show up with Abram or the Chaldees. There's no connective tissue. We don't get that, but we will talk about that because it's profound. Jasher fills in the gaps, and you're just going like, man, I wish I would have understood that. And, and why do we not have the book of Jasher? It was a lost scroll, and it was found in some rabbi's garage in 1680-something. And then it was only translated in the late 1800s. And I've read through all of it. And I my, my gosh, it is explaining so many things that are corroborating stuff in the Bible. There's exact passages that are word for word, exactly what's in Genesis, exactly what's in Exodus. And, and then there's some stuff, honestly, it's kind of a little funky. And just like, I think God needed an editor. If, if, if those were his words, very words. They don't have the same ring as the scriptures. And so I end up going like, I don't need to fight for this to be canon, but it's incredible, helpful historical context that fills in the missing gaps. And so, you know, I didn't I didn't know, apart from the book of Jasher, you wouldn't know that Jerusalem was a city and it was built by Noah and Shem. You know, Noah, after the flood, you know, you know how old he was when he finally died? Well, over. he was 958 years old. That's that's a long time. Yeah, that's kind of up there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, not, I mean, definitely the flood not. happened when he was like you know a teenager of 500, <laughs> and it took him 200 years to build. And so, like, I went, man, that's one heck of a boat, but that's a slow process. So I don't feel so bad with the things I'm struggling with. <laughs> you know, it's like. If anything is, is worth doing, it's worth doing. And if it takes a bit of time, it God's not in a rush. And I just go like, okay, that's really cool. Um, but when you when you look at that, it was Nimrod, who is like the king of the Nephilim baddies, he built Babylon. So way back then, you have this battle of these two structures, two cities, two types. And that's exactly what you have in the book of Revelation. 
So when the, the, the founders are reading through the scriptures and what's so amazing about the founders is, you know, the Bible had from 300 AD till about 1500, nobody had a copy of it. You had to be like a monarch and you only had, or you had to be part of the the Catholic church and they, they, they had it in Latin. So unless you knew that they actually kind of prevented the people from having the Bible. And, you know, the reason we did the Founders Bibles, I was so amazed at the peril of life and limb and the loss of treasure and everything else that the founder guys worked to get the Bible into the hands of the people so that they could have the light of God's truth. I mean, the sacrifice that they went to just so that we'd have it to read. And, you know, I've been a professional Bible guy you know, for 30 some years, I, I'm, you know, it's like, I've got degrees and I got a paycheck and I love the Bible. But when I heard the whole story of, you know, how they hid printing presses and how they had to run and escape from those who were trying to destroy them, it's like the Bible is so precious. And I just go like, wow, if we knew it, we wouldn't let it collect dust. You know, you I just, wouldn't have it in my stack of books. I, I, I would be in it all the time trying to go like, hey, God, help me understand what's important for me as I walk with you. And, you know, I don't read it to, to be a good Christian. I read it to get wisdom and, and, and understanding. You know, my, my kids, you know, happily, they think I'm smart. And so they, they're like, Dad, how, how do you get to know all the stuff that you do? And I said, I, I'm reading all the time. And I'm reading the Bible most. And, you know, that's where the wisdom comes from. That's how I that's how I learned to hear his voice. That's how I learned to discern the things that I think I'm hearing. Maybe maybe they're in line with the scriptures. If they're not, then I'm going to question that. And so, you know, I the New Jerusalem was their yearning to say, I, I, I want to dwell with God. I want to be with God. I want to live in a way that is right. And they had a moral fabric that they just, they had an integrity and a demand that it wasn't like, you know, how, how do I get away with stuff? They knew that there's a God in heaven that if they tried to get away with stuff, they could fake out man, but they were not gonna fake out God. And so the whole fear of the Lord was something that was very real in their lives that they said, you can't elect people to office that don't believe in God because that's the check and balance on the evil of the human heart. They will realize they will have to give an account for what they do. And if that person doesn't have that as a restraining force on their evil heart, it will go awry. And you know, I think as we come down through the 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 decades and the, the the centuries, we've kind of thought we're enlightened, like, oh, man's not so bad. And I'm going like, um, <laughs> yeah, he is. And I love, love I love humanity. God loves humanity, but God doesn't have a false delusion about us. And the the government that was set up was trying to put checks and balance, knowing that if we give power to people, they will misuse it. They will. So the keeping force, the check and balance on government was always supposed to be the people. Always. They assumed it would go rotten. 
They assumed it would reach for things that it shouldn't. And that's why Benjamin Franklin, when, when the lady kind of famously said, so what do we end up with? And he said, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. And we have not done a great job of keeping it. And, and that's kind of where I kind of feel like, you know, when we look at what's going on in the earth, it says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And we're looking at that. There's not a segment of your life. There's not a segment of my life or society that's not getting shook. And whatever isn't built on his firm foundation is falling apart. And, you know, part of me was like, oh, wow, terrible. And it's like, the Lord finally said, Brad, read that again. And it's like, everything that can be shaken will be shaken again. We're, we're in Hebrews, and it's referring back to, to Haggai. And, and he said, what's the purpose of the shaking? Good question. Thank you, Jesus. Um, so that we might receive an unshakable kingdom. That's so good. That's what I think the New Jerusalem's about. It's that unshakable <clears throat> kingdom. And, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's taken, I'm, I'm 57. It's taken me 57 years to, to bring a lot of complex things back into more simpler focus because I kind of finally feel like I'm getting my hands at least around some part of this elephant. And, and it's like, it's making a little more clear, clear. It's like, I don't have to fear what's happening in the world because God is actually coming to test, to sift, to tear down and to remove all the stuff that will not stand, cannot stand. And I shouldn't be afraid of that. You know, if a lot of how I've built my life is on the sinking sand stuff, it's not going to be so fun for me. <laughs> I just won't. Mm -mm. But wherever I've built on the rock, the storms may come and that may, you know, but I'm going to stand. And so it's like, I want that. I don't want to keep building on stuff that's going to fall down. I don't want to keep doing things that are not fruitful. You know, it's like when you say yes to Jesus, you, you become an eternal creature. So I don't need to be afraid of death because eternal life is on the inside. And, and my experience of that will be my learning to walk and know the life of the eternal one. You know, I, I don't I don't think eternal life is length of days. You know, it is, but I don't think that's its focus. It's the quality of life of the eternal one. Mm -hmm. And that's what my salvation is, is knowing him. That's, that's good. You said something earlier, which just like hit me with a like one of those major epiphanies. And you talked about the press, the history of the press, which is a history in itself that I don't think has been well-written in the United States. And it's an important one, and you're running into it a lot now with your trials of trying to get this whole system set up to print Bibles. But I bring this up because what you said cut right to the root of what this revolution was about, and you said it. It was about preserving the Bible and Scripture for the people. We've never looked at our revolution that way, Brad. We've never looked at it no. from a—we look at it from the economic spheres. We look at it from the tyranny spheres— but we've never looked at the efforts. And Ben Franklin was a big part of this. Our, the broadsheets that were being put up daily and being printed at night to hide from the British soldiers. Payne's work, 
all of these things were being done, and all of them were around. If we d- take it all down, after you read them and you realize all of this was about the message of Scripture into a new nation, all of it. And we never looked at our revolution from the point of view of preserving the Word of God. And that is literally at the root of everything that we started with. And that's why the pulpits, that's why the Bible, that's why all of the scripture, all the writings that were done ultimately anoint this nation, in my opinion, with God's blessing because of how it started. What, what's so amazing to me is uh, one of the things England did is it, it made it illegal to print Bibles. <laughs> you just go like, serious. So like one of the first revolutionary acts is, you know what? I'm just going to be a total rebel. I am going to, despite your edict, I'm going to print the Bible. Why? I'm going to make sure that every single soul out there that yearns for truth and freedom and light has access to it. Because if they get a hold of it, you will never be able to enslave them. That is amazing. I I mean, that's about as rock star amazing as it comes because you're just like, wait a minute. Jefferson, the secular deist dude, it's like, no, he paid for two different printings of of the Bible. He bankrupt his own estate, loaning money to this fledgling little nation and personally paid for the print runs of an annotated version of the Bible so that all of the folks in, in, in the government could actually have the ethics and the teachings. He wasn't trying to force convert anybody. But he did say, if you're going to govern, you're going to need the the truth of the wisdom that's in the Bible. So I'm going to give you a a look at the heart of Jesus because that's how we need to govern. And then he also made sure that the Indians had a a short version that they could read. I've published a a little short version. You know, it's a book called Jesus, a man like no other. And it's like, that's exactly what Jefferson did for those. He just... He wasn't denying the supernatural. I mean, all kinds of crazy things have been said, but it's like that dude had a passion for the word of God and the truth of God. He had a complete distrust of government. And and they're, they're, they're trying to figure out how do we preserve real liberty? So after they laid the foundations of government, all of these guys started Bible societies because they knew if the word of God was not in the heart of men, they would exhaust the treasury trying to restrain the evil that would otherwise come out. It's like you wouldn't have a society of freedom unless it could be governed from within and the free voluntary participation of that. And it's like they, they this was not forced conversion. Um, Jefferson even paid for a printing of the Quran. Why did he do that? Because it was the Muslims, the Barbary pirates that were destroying all the trade and owning the Atlantic and blowing up all the stuff coming across and and forcing people to convert under the power of the sword. He wanted to make sure that the, the citizens in America understood who was making war with them and why. He, 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 he was not promoting Islam. He just said, they intend to kill us. Here's why. You should be aware of this so that we understand our enemy and we are empowered to do something about it. And you that war has been raging on this planet forever. It's, it's, it's at the heart of what's the conflict in the Middle East. And you're just going like, wow, 
all the way over in America. Yet we created a navy to go over into the Mediterranean and to actually make war with them, you know, on the shores of Tripoli. It's like, you know, we have our wonderful little battle, you know, our songs, but it's like they went over to stop and to actually demonstrate to the Barbary pirates, hey, we're not like the monarchies that you've been at war with. We're not one of those kind of Christian nations. We don't have a fight with you. So stop sinking our ships and stop, you know, enslaving our people. The Muslims took over 2 million Europeans as slaves. So when we get to the whole slavery thing, it's not even it's not even fair to talk about one race alone is enslaved. It's like, no, the planet's been enslaving people ever since there's been people fighting over people and wanting to rule over them. You know, what's so, what's so amazing about the all men are created equal thing is it means that no man has the right to rule over another. Goodbye monarchies, goodbye Pope. Every single soul has a direct access and relationship, a right and a privilege to have a direct relationship with the living God. And then it's up to you educating your conscience on how to learn how to walk that out. But we're going to make it a non-coercive society. It's going to be rooted and grounded in the practice of self-government, not the ideals of it. Why? And, and, and they said, and as a little addendum, good luck having self-government unless you have the King Jesus ruling over the passions of your soul. You're not going to be able to do it very well unless you have help, but we're not forcing that. If we went back to those things, we would have an amazing nation again that's not fighting with itself. That's good. That's, I agree. So let's move into the Middle East a little bit, and I want to pivot off of what you just said about the Muslims. As my position lately, which is had overall pretty positive response, but I think that it's is that we're missing a lot of the fight, and without having all the scriptural depth that you're going to bring today, I know there is an issue here at play, which is the that people are trapping themselves into the fight of politics and corrupted governments rather than looking at the core issue of genocide and accepting Christ into our, their heart. Because we have we have an Israeli government that is, does not walk with Jesus. Most of the nation now has become, according to even the people I know that have been over there recently, talking to them more in a sense of an atheistic view as a whole of a mass. That's not everybody, but they're very much rejected. They're coming from the Talmud. And then you have the other side of this, which is the Muslims, which you just said, and then there's just, with this, there's just literally no forgiveness in that space. They, they don't walk with a forgiving heart. They walk with, like, I need to kill everybody and then see how I settle out and, and with Allah or whoever after death. Your thoughts? Yeah, um, it's crazy because I don't know that growing up, despite that I'd have to say 80% of our Christian zoo of all the different denominations in America, um, 80% of them are like soft Zionists. And what I mean by that is they somehow see the nation state, the modern reconstituting of the nation state of what we call Israel um, as a proof and a sign of the existence of God. See, we can find Bible scriptures and God is brought finally brought his people back into the land 
And then somehow, if we want to help the end times happen, we got to get this third temple built. And and then, you know, a lot of the crowd thinks that God's then going to split things and he has a, a, a Gentile people and then a Jewish people and that the Gentiles are going to get raptured out of here. And that's the end of the church age. And then we go back to, you know, some kind of Old Testament form of the Jews are going to you know be the fourth quarter team. And, you know, somehow, you know, they're going to ultimately prevail as the rest of the world just gets roasted. And I'm just sitting there going like, wow, I I've read the Bible. I don't see that narrative. I, I, I don't I don't understand. I, I, I can see bits and parts, but that's not a real exciting view of it. And I don't even think it's honest with it. So we have this notion that God has the special chosen people and it's sort of like they can do no wrong. You know, it's like, well, he gave them the land and that's it. Anyone else there needs to just, you know, stop doing what they're doing. And it's like, you know, if if where you lived, all of a sudden a group of people that the world decided to say, hey, we, we need to we need to make up for something that happened to them. So we're going to give them your house, your land, your state, your your town. And you all just need to leave. We're sorry, but we just we have to do this. And oh, by the way. There's a holy book that has some verses that justify us doing this to you, <laughs> and I just like w w wait a minute here. I'm not I'm not for either side, but God's a God of justice and righteousness. That is not how God does anything. So even even if even if you had a verse that was okay and that that said that it it belongs to them, you know, we found this. It's their title deed. They actually own the land, and and it's like, well, where were they for the last thirteen hundred years? That's irrelevant, you know. You know, would, you you don't get to to bring that up. It's like, really, why would that be irrelevant? So, we have a conflict over in the Middle East that's about the right to who gets the right to live there, and then when a group is pushing the other group out, you're going like, and at what right do they have to do that? And nobody's meaningfully explained that in any court of justice to anybody. It's just might makes right and the people with the most money or the most guns they tell the other people get lost and i'm going like do not pretend anywhere that you can justify that those are the actions of god not the god of the bible because the god of the bible doesn't behave that way you know the only kill commands he ever gives in the scriptures is to kill the half-breed nephilim non-human folks and for a lot of people, that's like, ooh, you're talking about funky stuff. It's like, well, read the Bible. From the very outset of the fall, God said, I will put enmity, war, between the race of the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Whether you like it or not, that's not just red letters. That's that's God, very God, not just you know New Testament Jesus words. That's God saying there's a war and you're a part of the race of humanity. And then there's an enemy that is not human. It's part of the serpent seed. And what exactly is it? I don't fully know, but I know it's the, the side with Satan. I know it's the side of angels, fallen angels. And I know that they actually have corrupted the human genetics of the planet, which is the whole reason for the flood. God saved the only last eight humans. 
That's not how the flood is taught to people. The flood is everyone really behaved bad and God finally got pissed off enough to kill everyone. And you're just going like, no, that that's that's a serious injustice to his heart and his his essence. No, he he gave dominion to this to, on this planet to us, to the race of men. And that that does explain an awful lot of things because God says, uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh, I'm not just taking over. I'm not doing all the work. You're here for a purpose. I'm going to grow you up to understand me and to be like me. You're made in my image and likeness. Now learn to rule and reign and learn the whole purpose of ruling and reigning. It's not to subjugate others. It's to serve and love them. And so even if it's like, hey, we're back. We're We're in Israel. It's our land. You're supposed to love your neighbor. You know the whole parable of the Good Samaritan? Do you know how revolutionary that was in Jesus's day? You, you had this conflict then, and they looked at the people that lived there now, and they said, we, we got we got kicked out of the land because we rebelled against God, and you know, um, but then the remnant of us came back and were restored back to the land. And then there's these people that were living here and they never got kicked out. Well, Jesus, you know, the the Matthew, the, the Sermon of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor for they shall inherit the earth. Who, who, who is he talking about? The people that didn't get deported. They weren't valuable enough to the Babylonians to remove them. So the folks that lived there, stayed there, they're the half-breeds. They're the, they're the ones that, they weren't clearly part of any one tribe and they are the poor of the land, the homeless, and, and they lived there and they got the title deed back. They would be the Palestinians. We, we don't understand that. And so when they're the Samaritans and, and the, the Jews of the day looked at them as half-breeds. They looked at them as lesser than. They saw, they had racial superiority language back then. And Jesus is going like, I have an issue with that, so let me tell you some stories that'll be put this right in your face. And so he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, the whole bit of love the Lord your God and, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's the whole sum of the law brought together in two simple little things. Let's do the vertical loving, and then let's do the horizontal loving. That would be the people of God. And they're going like, mm, we'll do the vertical praising, but we're not doing the horizontal stuff because those people are scum. And Jesus is like, no, <laughs> let me tell you a story. And so he tells them through that. And it's like, you know, the whole question was predicated on who is my neighbor? And it's like, who really is the one that's doing and expressing the heart of God? Jesus would have told us the story was about the worth of the Palestinian and the Samaritan. It wasn't the special people of God thing. And they were totally offended by that. And Jesus would 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 often say, it's like, I, you know, you think that because Abraham is your father, that somehow you have a special status? He said, No, you're of the you're of your father, the devil. I mean, that's like that's pretty in your face. What's he talking about? He really was saying to the leaders of the day at the time of Jesus. You guys have departed from the truth. You've made the traditions of men, otherwise known as the Talmud. 
He said, you neither understand the scriptures nor the power of God. And the only group that he was like really super mean to were the leaders of the nation of Israel at the day. And you're just going like, you guys have totally missed it. And, you know, and then he tells a parable. This is a, this is out of Luke 19. And I've been camped in this for the last decade. You know, it's like Jesus is looking at Jerusalem, the city, and he's weeping over it. And he's wondering, he's weeping, going like, if only you had known the things that would make for peace, your house would not be left to you desolate. But because you don't, you're missing your day of visitation and you're going to be destroyed. Just before that, he talks about that. He talks about a parable of the vineyard where the vineyard owner comes back, but the servants of the vineyard don't want him to rule over him and they reject him and they seek to kill him. And then he gives a warning that they will be destroyed. And just going like, I think he's demonstrating real clearly what he means by if only you had known the things that would make for peace. So here you have national Israel in Jesus's day rejecting the true king of Judah who's come back and he's the guy who's in charge. If 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 there is a Jew like we get the word Jews from the tribe of Judah. Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah. He was he was installed and demonstrated by God because he is God that he is the one true rightful king and they would not recognize him. And because of it, he utterly rejects them and says that they will be destroyed. Why 2000 years later, are we looking at the, those that rejected Jesus and making them some sort of special exempted status? Like, well, it doesn't matter. You know, am I, am I anti-Semite? No, that is such a stupid leg sweep. I'm I'm a Bible affirming, Jesus following person. That God never had a racial gospel, and yet we've made it into a racial thing. And I'm just going like, we're the we're the authors of that hatred. We're the authors of not seeing people as people, and elevating one group over another. And Virtually all the all the messed up religions of the world end up in someone's form of their supremacy over everybody else. That's not in the Bible at all. It's pretty amazing. And that's where we are today because we've got literally one group fighting against the other group and all of them are trying to gain supremacy over the other. I think one of the biggest cons of this whole thing right now, Brad, is the fact that Literally, when you do the research, and it's not even hard to find, this is the part I find just amazing. Hamas has been being funded by Israel, and that's coming through Mossad. And when you go take to the root of that, as they try to provoke Iran into a fight, and then I was doing this thing the other day, I haven't finished this research, but it's coming up on a show, is Follow the Rings, which is the Ring of Solomon. Solomani is wearing the Ring of Solomon. And you start to follow these things in here and you start to see this cult network 
which is really quite amazing. And they're just leaders. They're, they're a criminal class that is orchestrating this whole thing. And then we forget the most obvious. It's right in our face. Where is the fastest growing Christian community in the Middle East? It's in Iran. And so here they're trying to provoke a war with Iran. And you like, froze or I froze, my friend. I think you froze. I One of us did. I'm still seeing you. Can you hear me? Can you hear me, Brad? Go ahead and dial back in. Okay, um, not sure we can take it. Reconnecting, something just happened. Hang on a minute. Okay. Um, I'm not really sure what's going on right now. <laughs> um, it says, says I'm the host. host. There you go. Now, now you're, you're back. back. Oh, you got to get All right. Again. Okay, there we go. So I'm just kind of back that. It's Soleimani's wearing the, the ring of Solomon when they killed him. That's what this big thing was this big ring. And it's the ring of Solomon. And so you start to backtrack all of these nonsense things that they're doing, and they're trying to put a war in the end of this. They're trying to bring Iran into this war, and Iran's got the fastest-growing Christian community in the Middle East. Yeah. I, if we just start to take a step back, you'd be like, okay, how come you're giving Muslims a pass, and why are you trying to destroy Christians again? And Israel government has been funding radical extreme Zionist groups to go out and ravage the communities that are talking Jesus in just before this war. They were doing it at high speed. And then we go back to the piece, and I'm just kind of linking pieces where you just talked about the Muslims were destroying the trade routes. And you're like, okay, are we seeing a pattern here? I mean, literally, like you're being empowered by the other powers to become an agent of terror. This is why I say all the time, if Islam could understand how it was being used as a hand puppet of the deep state, they would start listening to Jesus followers a lot more and the world would change pretty quickly if you literally had Muslims that accepted Jesus who pray five times a day. I said this the other day. I was like, can you imagine a group of people who literally will walk their life five times a day, which most Christians won't, praying, and they suddenly accept Jesus? Hmm, that sounds like a pretty fierce army. Yeah, you know what's so amazing to me is I, you know, the world would love to force the planet into a one world religion that the you know government controlled and god's kind of saying mm, no um there is only one living one true god and i actually don't play favorites that's that's what i think is one of the most tragic things i mean it also get me you know declared her heretic and disinvited from lots of things but you're going to get a God fight. doesn't gonna... play favorites. The one thing about God is he is an impartial, just judge of the whole earth. And if you don't do things right, you will have to give an account for it. Doesn't matter what you, you know, if I'm a Christian, it doesn't give me a free pass to misbehave. My salvation is because of what God has done. But then the scary real truth for everybody is you will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you will have to give an account for every thought, word, and deed. And you, if, if what you have done has truly been something of worship unto him, not serving self, but serving him and loving others, you will be greatly rewarded for what you did. 
God's not here to shame and punish people, but he's going to test everyone's life. And somehow we think because I'm saved and because I'm going to heaven, I'm good. And it doesn't really matter how I live. And I'm going like, oh, tragic mistake. It absolutely does. Why did you think that the God of truth and justice would somehow not care about how you behave with other people? So even if Israel was being put back in the land, how they are handling being in a position of leadership in a space, how they're cultivating that area and how they're loving their neighbors is how they're going to be judged. And if they do a poor job of that, they they will experience the consequences. I mean, God's ha always had people who were following him. But when they turn to worship the fallen and they go into things like child sacrifice, God whistles for their enemies to come and remove them from the land. You know, it's like when we when we when we start back at the very beginning of where this thing is, we have to kind of go back to the whole flood. You have to start there because we don't understand what that was about. God gave freedom and choice to the planet. And then the fallen came and they seduced the planet into worshiping them, breeding with them and changing up and corrupting all the genetics. And, and God kind of said at Genesis five, he shows up and he looks at what's happened to the earth and he, he repents of having ever made man. Welcome to the sermons no one ever preaches. It's like, what does that mean? It means that we have an outcome on the planet that God, it broke his heart. He didn't want it to happen. And it's at such a level that he's wondering if this was ever a good idea. Well, didn't he know? Yes, he did. He did know. But he's not taking back dominion and stopping people that he created and gave rightful privilege and responsibility to he's letting them do things and he only intervened at the one point when if he didn't intervene now there would be no salvation for the race of man there was no human lineage that was uncorrupted other than the eight people on that boat. That if he didn't come now, he would never have the capacity to bring a human savior to redeem everything. That's that's the greatest rescue story never told. That's, that's the patient, long-suffering God that isn't here to just destroy and burn people. It's like, no. You get, he's the one God that you can worship that will leave you as a free decision maker. But then you're responsible for the decisions in what you do. And it's like somehow we want all the privileges and none of the responsibilities. So when the world doesn't turn out like we like, we all kind of like hop an attitude towards God. Like, why didn't you stop this? Why didn't you do something? And, and it's like, I mean, if I'm a father and I'm growing up my children, I cannot do everything for them, although they'll never grow. Let me take you to a, a, an interesting word I was given, and I, and I just I'd like to get your really because it takes it right where we are right now, and it takes us back to the garden. And I, you know, I did that uh, arc 
encounter, which is, by the way, really a profound yeah. space. I don't know if you've been there. It's just amazing. I have not, but you had an amazing audio-driven <laughs> set of revelations. I did. It was <laughs> totally amazing. And one of the things that we, there's a, I walk up and there's this a beautiful painting of the garden and Eve and Adam. And God says, Eve was ambushed. And Brad, I mean, this means something to me very deeply because in my film, as you know, I, I said the ambush changes you. Very prophetic word. I mean, a profound word for me too because it does. And suddenly I see this entire picture change, which is like, wait a minute. Okay, I realize Adam didn't do his job and we can do all that, but if you get ambushed, that is, that's something, that's a sneak attack. That's not something that you're, you're building for or protecting against. And then what happens in this, just in this very quick moment, it's like, I, he shows me this vision of like, the minute that happens, the, the blame turns on the woman and man's heart opens up to war. And that's where the fallen enter. And I went, Ooh. wow, that is a Ooh. completely re-wake, re-changing of how we see that moment. I just love to get your thoughts on that. You and I, like, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago, we talked about the lamb froze again and how at least for me i always saw that as oh god's made provision in case we mess up no god was always planning at some point to to demonstrate the fullness of love by dying for us mm -hmm. and that would mature us to a place that we would otherwise never get and so it wasn't like he's going like well let's see how they perform he he knew they were never going to be perfect. They were innocent. And then he sent his best friend, the second in command, the guy that we now call Lucifer or Satan, but he had a different name then. That was God's best friend. He, he sent that guy to be the guardian to watch over them and to help them. And instead of helping them, he seduced them to rebellion. And when you look at who Satan is, I'm not giving him props, but he was second only to God in wisdom, beauty, and everything. This wasn't a fair fight. It was a total ambush. You're seeing that absolutely correct. God's not okay with what ambushed his children. So when he shows up the next day, he's walk, he's he's intending. To do what he every what he did every day. He showed up and said, Let's take a walk. Let's walk and talk in the cool of the day. Was he unaware of what happened? No. He 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 didn't also like, oh my gosh, did you guys do something? It's like, did something happen while I wasn't here? God was never not there observing. So he shows up in their fallen rebellious state. And they're hiding, and he's saying, where are you? That's not for him. It's not like, I can't find you. It's more to ask them, hey, where are you? How are you seeing things? What's going on? Oh, we're hiding over here in our fake clothes, our fig leaves, because we're naked. Well, who told you? And, and so God's whole approach to the brokenness of humanity is to Let's define what's really wrong. Let me show you my heart. I'm here to fix this. I'm here to help you. I'm going to do something that, that will cover you. How extraordinary. Did, did, did they lose their dominion? 
I was always taught kind of subtly, like, yeah. But no, God didn't change the rules on the planet. It's not like all of a sudden Satan's totally in charge. Satan has marred and, and, and damaged them, and then God needs to restore them. And in a measure, they've become captive to, you know, they gave over the, he got influence over them. But dominion is still about the, the decision-making race of man. And if Satan can get us to do his bidding, he'll be able to exert dominion on the earth. But if God can get us to walk with him, God will establish his kingdom on the earth. Both of them need the human heart and the allegiance and the agreement of man to get things done on this planet. And what you're just describing is, oh my gosh, now we have a war between the sexes. And something got twisted in Eve. And because of her fear and frightment, she's going to try to rule over Adam. And, 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 and God kind of says, resist that. Don't do that. And Adam, I don't know where he was when this was going down, but somehow he wasn't there protecting and caring for Eve when this happened. And then all of a sudden when, when it's like, hey, what happened? He starts the blame game. You're, you're seeing that all of a sudden there is a war. There's a separation. There's a brokenness that enters into the human man-wife relationship. And you're just like, oh, gosh. And so God needs to repair that at its foundational level. And I, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I kind of see what you what you said looking at the ark thing and you're just going like, yeah, we've got some real difficulty here to untwist us. I mean, righteousness is the sort of to untwist the wickedness. Wickedness is where we get the word wicker. And it's all about the twisted thing. And so God's trying to untwist us and get us back walking with him. It's pretty amazing. Let's go back to where you see in the Middle East, because you've shared with me some really revelatory perspectives. <laughs> yeah. on, on... I sent out a text that's almost 12 pages. <laughs> I had a long flight, so I was just, you know. They had said on this flight, there will be no internet. And I'm going, like, okay, great. I don't really want to watch movies anyway. So my phone had charge, and so I was just, I was finally trying to pull all these threads together that I've been researching for a long time. And it was a four-hour flight, and I think I did a three-and-a-half-hour text. So, <laughs> but, but it was finally coming together for me. And yeah. I was going like, wow, where does this mess that is pushing the world to the brink of thermonuclear war? And we're like right there. I mean, it's like this is not like, gee, where's the doomsday clock? It's like, no, it's about to strike midnight. And if we don't have some... I mean, I'm, I'm looking at, again, Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. And if only you had known the things that would make for peace. I've been sitting here going, like, God, please download what would bring peace here. We're, we're now back at this city. We're back at this, you know, bullseye of a rat's nest of problems. And how do we sort this out? I don't want to miss our day of visitation. I really do believe inside that our best days are yet ahead and that all this can change, that we're not fatalistically determined to go down this 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 terrible rabbit hole. But I think the world forces out there have psyoped onto our seeing that as well. It's sort of, you know, 
it's above my pay grade. That's we're in the end times and we all know where that goes. I'm going like, I don't think so, folks. I really don't. That that's that's kind of like the cue sigh up for all the people that would otherwise engage, get them to just sit back and watch this thing unfold. And that takes us out of play. And I'm going like, why do so many of the end time for you know scenarios do the same thing? It takes good people to whom God has granted dominion and their engagement of in the earth will either build Satan's kingdom or build God's kingdom. And I don't care what label you put it on when it's Satan's side. It's either I'm with him or I'm on the other team. And and the, and the reality is, I think there's a lot more people that if you took away all the labels, there's a lot of hearts that are frankly far more with God. They're actually kind of seeing this through a righteous lens of, hey, what's going on here is not okay. And unless we're playing racial favorites, there's a lot of people who are like, this doesn't seem right. So if you guys are calling that God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, call a party foul. We're going to raise a flag going like, I can't, I, I, that doesn't seem right. They may not be able to prove it chapter and verse, but they know in their own heart, their conscience is somehow going like, this is not okay. And I think Satan is setting the entire world up to reject Judaism, reject Christianity, and reject Islam because he's going to put them all into a fight and it's not going to happen like any of us think. I really think that it's the trigger for apostasy if it goes down Satan's plan. And I'm going like, I have an objection. Father, I would like to change the trajectory of this world event. And <laughs> could you bring some light and truth into what's going on? And what's what's so amazing to me is that, you know, when God clothed Adam and Eve, they're in sin. Before they sinned, they were clothed in light. You know, it's like what Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, where he's shining like the light of a thousand suns on the inside. They had something of that untainted essence of God's glory reflecting off them in a pure, innocent state. And all of a sudden, when they sinned, it went lights out. Wow. Think of how terrifying that would be when all of a sudden you're going like, what just happened? what we just do i can't see in the spirit realm anymore i'm frightened i've never been frightened before now i'm full of shame and i've never felt that before so here you have the two innocent wonderful young creation that god had made and they're terrified why they just got ambushed a greater power just came and just just confused and seduced them to thinking that God was holding out, that somehow there was a, a shortcut, a different way to, to, to have the everything that they would have anyways. And that's the central theme of, you know, if, if there's one thing I would love to communicate, I'm seeing all over in spades, when we try to help God out by doing a shortcut or doing it a way that God wouldn't do, we create such a mess on this planet it's our trying to do things without the instructions of how to. And we think we know, and it's like, that's that's just sort of the height of arrogance. It's like, oh, I got this. No, you don't. 
you're not supposed to do this by yourself. You never were. You're supposed to do this with him. So if you don't know what to do, don't get busy. Get quiet. Listen. Ask. He'll show you. And then you can do it with him and you won't, you won't like, what's this razor blade? I wonder if I did this to my wrist, what that would do. It's like that. Welcome to the wisdom of man. You just go like, don't play, put down the razor blade, sir. You know? And so when you look at the beginning, it's like, there's a preciousness. What did God clothe them with? I don't know, but it has everything to do with the first sacrifice. I think he judged something and then he took the skins of that and applied them as the clothing for Adam and Eve so that they wouldn't be naked and that they would know you can still walk in what I've commanded you to. We're just going to have a restored route as opposed to the direct one. So we're going to have to go through some stuff to restore you. Now, childbirth is going to have pain. Now fruitfulness in the earth is going to have toil. There are consequences to what happened. But together we can restore this. I think that's extraordinary. But those clothes that he clothed them with, what's crazy is at the time of the flood, Noah had those. The skins that Adam and Eve had, he had those. And when we're after the cataclysm of the flood and all the non-humans have been purged from existence. I mean, entire planet just all of a sudden went through a near extinction event. And the only things left are the made in the image of God humans. You know, it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the end. And I'm going like, oh, my lands. You stop and think about that as far as where we're headed. <laughs> <laughs> that's if, if you think it's bad now <laughs> there's scarier music and i'm just going like no we're not at the end we're, we're not you know it's like this shot the 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 vaccine it has within it stuff that's affecting our dna it's morphing us into something different it's putting the building blocks of how you can no longer be made in the image of god you will be invited to become human 2.0 made in the image of fallen. And are we really ready for that? That's not going to come as a, that's going to come as an invitation to an upgrade. You know, it's like when the fallen angels came down and had sex with women and produced a half breed, it didn't say they came down and with violence raped everybody. It says they took wives. It's like, this was, Hey, these guys are attractive. <laughs> hey, I mean, when I when I taught tennis in Malibu, I actually played tennis with some ladies who were talking afterward while we were having lunch. And they were, you know, they're all trying to little seduce cute little me. And I'm going like, no, I love Jesus. So, no, we're not going to we're not going to sleep with older women. Um, but they talked about having sex with a spirit. And I'm going like, what? Wow. It's, yeah, so much better than a man. And I'm going like, I'd have to plead ignorance because I have had sex with no one. So <laughs> at the time, I'm going like, I don't, I don't, I don't have a vote, and I'm not offended by any of that. But it's like, what are we talking about? 
this is not some crazy Looney Tunes thing as it was in the days of Noah. So it shall be in the end. We're going to start to see a whole bunch of things happen that I don't think most Christians are really prepared for, but it's all there in the Bible. And so you, you look at, wow, God's trying to restore the earth. And now there's only eight people left. And he says, okay, I'm not going to let you live so, as long as you, you did before. So we're going to cut that short and man's days will be sort of apportioned to like 120. And I want you to repopulate the earth. And our, our breeding team is eight people. <laughs> you went from a couple billion to now our breeding team is eight people. And then something happens. Like Noah, now it's like the firmament's broken. It's gone. And we got um, different atmosphere. We got seasons. We have wind. We have, you know, rain was new. And now we have winter. And now we have fermentation of grape juice and Noah isn't aware of all this and thirsty Noah gets drunk. It's not immoral Noah. It's thirsty Noah that doesn't understand like, wow, this is pretty good. <laughs> Can I have some more? And he gets totally drunk. And then his son Ham does something. And it's kind of the Bible, the Bible if we read it for what it is, if we ever filmed it the way it was, it would be rated R, no problem. But we try to gloss over it. It's like Ham goes in and uncovers the nakedness of his father. And when Noah wakes up, he knows something had been done to him. I really believe in, you know, PG warning for the audience. Ham came and homosexually raped his father. And he didn't just homosexually rape his father. He homosexually raped his father and he took the skins that were given. He took the skins. Wow. And we learn this in the book of Jasher. We don't learn this in the book of Genesis. So we're left with Genesis with just a little cliff note. And we go like, what really happened there? And Jasher, we learned that he, he took the skins, hid them. And when Noah woke up, he realized something really bad had been done. You know, Leviticus says, if you uncover your, you know, your father's nakedness, the suggestion is, well, you slept with his wife. Well, when Noah would wake up after being drunk, he wouldn't know if Ham slept with his Mrs. Noah. He wouldn't. He knew something had been done to him. And it wasn't homosexual lust. It's not like dad's so attractive. It's it's a form of taking dominion over. Ham's looking at dad going like, you're not in charge anymore. Never seen you like this. And then he does something to take dominion. Noah is concerned because it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. How could we have just gone through the flood? This was the beginning place that everything went corrupt and wrong we can't go down that road again and ham my own son is going back down the road that brought us to the flood this was not a minor uh, this was this was a major offense because otherwise god would have looked at noah and said hey dude you're having an overreaction if it's just that i saw you naked that's way extreme to curse the future grandson, and to exile, you know, a whole quarter of the repopulation team. 
And why why is this relevant? Well, when Ham is banished for what he's done and he takes the skins, where does he go? He goes to the land of Canaan. That's where Israel, future Israel is. He goes to the land of Canaan. And then it says in Genesis 6, the Nephilim were on the earth before the flood and also afterward. And where did the Nephilim start their rebreeding program? With Ham in Canaan. So when of being in Egypt, their time of slavery, when they come back into the land and God tells Joshua, you know, you guys go spy out the land and, and they're like, they're giants. That's not hyperbole. They had become Nephilim. You froze. going on here we're having issues we're back okay um you i don't know where you you fell off i i it it it, it broke off god his kill command that he gave joshua to go wipe out, do not leave man, woman, child, or beast. Those are the hard sayings of the Old Testament that if you don't understand the Nephilim giant stuff, the, the corruption of the human genetics where they have become something that is not human, that God cannot redeem. Because the whole notion of the Nephilim is not just they're tall, they're big, they ought to play in the NBA. It's that it's that they don't have the God-breathed spirit in them. That's what redeems us. It's his spirit breathing into us. He can't redeem people that don't have that portion in them. So when he gave the kill command to Joshua to do that, it wasn't because, oh, I just don't like those races you know, of humans. It's the fact that there's something genetically corrupt about them all. And... You know, if you don't understand that God looks like in the Old Testament, he's just had a super bad day and he likes killing people. And I'm going like, sorry, that's not who God is. So that's missing needed information. So that's what we have is the background of what is the land of Canaan. And when Abram finally comes about, you know, he's he's a couple generations downstream from uh, Noah. And we don't think there's connective tissue. We don't understand that. We don't know. And it's like we're missing some of that in, in Genesis, but not in Jasher. Jasher fills out and tells us who Abram is. Abram, Ur of the Chaldees, Iran, he is born into, his dad is Terah. Terah, we find out in the book of Jasher, is the chief of the guard for Nimrod. Nimrod's the Nephilim king of the post-flood world. How did he become the Nephilim king of the post-flood world? Well, Ham is his granddad, 
And Ham took the title deed to the earth, the, the skins that said, you have dominion. And while I think it's a spiritual thing and it's not tied to the skins, the skins are like that ring of Salomani that you were talking about. For the ancient ones, it was the symbol of authority. And Ham gave them to his son, Cush. Cush hid them and then gave them to his son, Nimrod. Nimrod, at the age of 20, puts on the skins and declares himself the king of the earth. Noah's still living in, in Ararat. And Noah and Shem built the city of Jerusalem. Nimrod builds Babylon. And he builds five other cities, and he ultimately builds the Tower of Babel. I mean, he's trying to display his greatness. And it says he is an incredible hunter, a mighty hunter of souls. That means he's not just out there killing animals. It's like he's hunting people. He is, he is, he is a destroyer of the old post-flood world, and he's the mightiest man there is. He's part Nephilim. Terah. Abraham's father is his chief assassin. That, that, that gives a little intrigue to where does God start to bring his plan of salvation and redemption? Right at the doorstep of the enemy, he has Abram born. And there's a celestial event, Jasher says, in the sky that lets everyone know we have a great, amazing person who's been born and you're going like wow nimrod's a little bit um bothered by that so he and he, he gives a loyalty test to tara says bring me your son that i might slay him in my presence tara doesn't really want to do that so he grabs a concubine baby and brings that baby before nimrod nimrod dashes the child's head on the rocks and it's like you know you pass the test. I don't have to kill you, Tara. And meanwhile, Tara whisks Abram out of out of the camp, and he sends him to Noah and Shem. Noah and Shem raise Abram. Wow! I really would have loved to have known that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's the, there's some important connective tissue that you're just going like, really? Yeah. Why, if the Bible references the book of Jasher twice, would I not at least look at it for some facts and context? Why is, why is Abraham considered the friend of God? Why is God using him and says he is the father of faith? He is he's the beginning birthplace model that I'm going to show you. Where do you learn any of that? He got taught by Noah and Shem about the living God. So Brad talked about that a little bit, these these biblical texts, because there is a completely different world we live in now. The book of Enoch, the book of Jasher, these things used to be studied regularly just because they weren't in the Bible. And you can go back and see it historically because there's references outside of that in biblical scholars that talk about reading it. We have become so doctrinally narrow, I think would be the right way of saying that, that so many of the churches will literally say, you cannot read that or you cannot be part of that or it has no relevance in. I run into this. Oh, they, yeah. I mean, you, you, our doctrines of inspiration of the Bible are hamburger helper conclusions that state of the Bible 
something the Bible never states of itself. Now, I'm a Bible publisher. I am a seminary-trained theologian, been a pastor for 30 years. I mean, the, the, it's like, do I love the Bible? Yes. Do I absolutely trust the Bible? Yes. Is it the inspired word of God? Yes. Are there um, errors in the Bible? Yeah. There's there's textual portions where, you know, we, we certainly have some missing fragments and people are doing their best job to fill in the gaps. None of which matter a lick about the essential nature of my salvation. None of which challenge that. None of which do anything. There's there's nothing so um, a question in the Bible that I don't know what to do. But the Bible, Christianity and following God, being saved by the living God, has nothing to do with ink and paper. It has everything to do with trust and relationship. I'm saved because I put my faith in the finished work of what God does to save me. In the Old Testament, I'm looking forward to God one day coming and actually doing the full redemption. And between now and then, I do a sacrifice of an animal that was showed to me as this will cover my sin for a season. And annually, I've got to come back and sort of renew and confess and 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 keep short accounts. But never did the blood of bulls and goats ever bring salvation and redemption. My righteousness is imparted to me because I have faith in the heart, in God, and what he does to save me. That's Old Testament faith. They didn't they didn't get saved by being uh, Jewish or and the nation of Israel, and then everyone else is, is foobard. It's like, no, God always made provision for you can come and be a part of my tribe of people on the earth. You can graft yourself in. You can believe in your heart. And it was always about a, a, a faith in the heart that made you part of his family. The books and the scrolls and the writings are incredibly valuable because it's like people that had relationship with God, that heard his voice, that are chronicling down for us what's going on. So the Bible is incredibly important. It's very valuable. But Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you will find life, and yet they testify of me and you refuse to come to me. That's, that's him saying, this is always about relationship. And so if you misuse the scriptures and you take them to weird conclusions, whatever, unhelpful. They should lead you to me. And so when you look at the doctrines of inspiration, you know, there's a place we were talking about this the other day. Paul in, in First Corinthians, I think it's chapter six, he kind of says, hey, I do not have a command from the Lord, but I will give you my opinion. And then he goes on and talks about how I think it might be better to be single, you know, for the sake of the kingdom. And, and, and it's like, that's not the words of God, very God. And yet it's in the Bible. So we already have to have a differentiation of how we see that. And you're going like, it's, it's the wisdom of an apostle. It's an opinion. So I'm going to, I'm going to weigh it. And I'm going to listen to it, but it's not a law or directive. And it's, and he said, it's not, a command of the Lord. Peter, in his epistle, refers to Paul and he says, you know, some of the stuff of Paul, that Paul writes is a little hard to understand. Well, is that Peter quoting God? No. 
that's Peter saying, I don't quite understand all of what Paul has said there. That's commentary from the mind of a man. That isn't the very words of God. So when I look at inspiration, you know, I was I was taught in seminary. It's like the word of God is perfect and it's flawless. And it's like, you know, in the original manuscripts, which we don't have. So it's a sort of a, a faith filled confession that they look at the Bible as the perfect. And then they 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 refer to it as just the 66 books. And yet the canon was done in like the 1500s. And it was a bunch of guys that followed God and they're trying to sort of bring some, you know, foundational gathering of what do we of all the stuff that's been written? What do we really trust in that has that we think is like a tuning fork for truth that we're going to say these are the confirmed scriptures that we believe are the authoritative words of God? They did not have unanimous consent about all of that, but they voted in a number of books. And it's it's interesting. The Protestant Bible that we have has 66 books. The Catholic Bible had 84. The original King James Version had all 66 and the apocryphal books that are in the in the Catholic. The original King James had all 84. And it's like, so... What we have downstream been given is this is the Bible. This is perfect in every last little thing. And should you dare question it, we question your salvation. You know, it's like you can only read this. And it's like, but in the Bible, um, I've tracked this with my one of my other Bible partners. There's over 26 different books that are referenced in the Bible that we don't have. And we're not part of the Dead Sea Scrolls. We don't have them. Book of Enoch was in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Book of Giants was in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but we didn't seem to put it in the Bible. And so you're just going like, are there extra biblical texts out there that are historical facts of this was written down by somebody? And it's like, would there be any value in reading them? Are, are there are there like some people on the internet say there's 777 books and we've only been allowed to have 66. So all the others are hidden in the, in, in the archives of, of the Vatican and they're keeping the truth from us. And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't been in the archives of the Vatican. <laughs> and and the reality is, is it says in first John two, you have no need of a teacher for each one of us has an anointing that abides within that freely teaches me all things. And it's the job of the Holy Spirit to lead me into all truth. And so the truth is, is I'm supposed to test everything and hold fast to that which is good. And that applies as I read through the Bible. I go like, hey, have a conversation with the author. Holy Spirit, how do I understand this? Help me. Open my eyes. Open my understanding incline my heart to hear your voice and would you guide me please and so i think the bible is so invaluable i mean people that don't know the bible are not equipped to discern god's voice very well so i think we have to be great students of the scriptures but if someone gave me an old text and say what do you think i'd read it and i and i'd, I'd glean from it any value that was there but i don't need to put it in the canon. I don't need to, I mean, I don't need to take Jasher and like, we need to revote. We need to have the book of Jasher. I, I'm like, it's a historical book. It has some elements of truth. 
there are other things about it I don't quite understand, and I don't know what to do with those because they don't have the same ring of what I'm familiar with. Would I say it's inspired? I, I, I'd say certain parts are word for word exact. So, yeah, I think those connect. The ones that differ, when I say, oh, you better not read that, I'm going like, no, it's incredibly helpful. We learn in the book of Jasher that Hagar, you know, the one that Abram sleeps with, because he thinks, you know, he and Sarah aren't going to be able to have a baby. And Sarah says, why don't you sleep with my handmaiden? Well, that's a bizarre thing for Mrs. Abram to say. My wife's never going to suggest that. You know, and it's like, guess what? Hagar is Pharaoh's daughter. Oh, that, that's kind of changing. That's just small factoid. <laughs> Small factoid, just like, oh, really? Pharaoh, the, the one that wanted to take me and bed me as his wife, and God stopped him? And then Pharaoh rebukes Abram, going like, why did you let me uh, just about to do something terrible like this? Who are you? What's the deal? That the living God, the Pharaoh who's supposed to be God, has the living God show up so you touch or you die. And he's going like, Abram, what? And because he realizes this man is so extraordinary that the living God comes and protects his wife from the inadvertent sin and defilement he was about to do, he wants to have peace with this man. So he gives him his daughter, Hagar. So Ishmael is not an Arab. Ishmael's Egyptian. Wow. Everybody that talks about Abraham and you know Isaac and Ishmael and the fight between and you just go the Jews and the Arabs, you're just going like false, wrong, flag on the play. Y'all have the genetics wrong. And I'm just going like, how much, how many wars have we fought? Because we actually didn't know what was going on and what the truth is. They're just used as ruses and reasons for war what you said in the fall war went into the heart of man very at the foundation we just have religious arguments that try to justify it not going to be the solution your religious war does not justify your going to war and killing people without the expressed permission of the living god that's so good that is so good man yeah we've, we've got we're, we're drifting a lot and we're we're seeing the i mean you and i talk about this a lot and i <laughs> you you temper me when i go after the pulpit but it's getting infuriating when you have pulpits literally calling for war right now and this is kind of our discussion yesterday a little bit about yeah the, the pastoral view which i pastor viewed you which I really, I know, but it's worth a discussion here because it's... Put your sword back in just for now. You're right, and you're tempering me, like, be patient. And then there's this other side when I'm looking at consequences of war, and I'm like, we're not, we're playing with fire here. Like, oh, and, and so we're playing it, with nuclear fire, right. not just And so we're, this is where I think the discussions we have are so fruitful because it it is a tempering of the quickness of the blade. But as I've been trying to talk a lot about the show... You can sheathe your steel sword, but you better be fierce in the sword of the spirit right now. 
fears. See, but see, that's where we do. God is not a pacifist. His name is Lord of hosts, armies. Okay. But our battle, Paul says, he defines the, the, the theater of war. We do not fight with flesh and blood, but we war against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness. And if we actually understood our assignment, I have access on planet Earth and in the spirit realm. I have authority to be in both at the same time. I am a spirit on this. The essential essence of me is God dwells in my spirit. It says right now, I am seated with him in heavenly places. Well, I can see from there and I can see the real war that's going on. Not just the false skirmish down here, the false flags on planet Earth. I can see from heaven what's going on. I can take counsel with the Lord. I can sit in his war council and say, Father, would you please explain what's going on? Where's the battlefield? We're fighting the wrong wars. We're fighting on the wrong fronts. We're, we're, we're taking our sword to the leaves and we're not getting to the root of the issue. And so it's why we're not all that effective so much of the time. And I'm sitting here going like, so I, I take this whole thing super seriously that we're supposed to exert dominion. I've been given, I, I am, I'm a son of his, a rightful heir of the dominion mandate. But how I go about that is what absolutely matters. There's been so many things done in the name of God that are absolutely reprehensible, do not look like God, do not smell like God, are not God, but they were done in his name which is basically the way you kind of inoculate the rest of the world to wanting to have anything to do with God. Because if that's God, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Well, it wasn't God. That's the thing that makes me ticked, but I don't get to go take, you know, lop off their head. You know, sometimes I'd like to. And so I'm very sympathetic with <laughs> your war posture at times, <laughs> but, but I also just like love is our greatest weapon. I, mean, I, I remember I watched I watched the movie Braveheart one day, and I watched it in, in in the afternoon up in San Luis Obispo. I was on some trip, and I was the only one in the theater. And Jesus, honestly, no one I have to believe. He came in, he watched it with me, and man, did it fire up my soul! I saw stuff, and I just I saw the passion of it. But I was frustrated at the end, and I kind of went, God. I want to be able to fight like that. I want to be able to just lead a nation of people to freedom. But it'd be so much easier if I could take that spiked mace ball and hit the heads of the bad guys. And I don't know how to wield love as our greatest weapon yet. Would you teach me? Because I don't know how to do that. I could take a sword or a gun and feel like I can wield that better then I can take this generic thing called love and I don't know where the trigger is. I don't know where the hand grenade pin pole is. I don't know how to lob that thing in a way that it impacts everything like you do. But man, was that ever massive to just watch that and just like, would you teach me that? Because I'm pretty sure if we try to do this without that, 
we're just going to make for more wars. That's been my biggest pivot personally. And I mean, you've been, you know, I've been talking for almost two years and a lot. I mean, like I say that people, I'm proud of that. It's something we talk regularly, weekly, sometimes every day. And it's the biggest pivot I've had in the last seven weeks, Brad, is just that piece of the awakening and the stepping across. And I told you the dream that I had about two months ago that really kind of opened my eyes. And it was this army standing in the field, very much in Braveheart-ish style, modern army with shields. And I was standing there before it as it was facing off to me and kind of thinking to myself, what am I going to do with this? And Jesus comes alongside and he says, let me show you the power of love. And he just walks up in front and the entire army goes to its knees and drops its shields and begins to weep. And I just looked at Jesus and I'm like, I want some of that. Because <laughs> <I mean, laughs> I'm like, that's my type of fighting right there. That, that's awesome. that would be effective. <laughs> that was super effective. And it's, it's really amazing because in these discussions that we're all starting to expand now into other communities and really looking at the, the instrument of warfare that we face. Because if we just look at one issue, like the overflooding of, of illegals and fighting age males into this nation, there's two ways to fight this. We can do it kinetically. And kinetically, it is going to be the nastiest fight ever in the history of this nation and probably the history of nations, plural, because of the depth of Ranser and how deeply they're embedded. And people can get all amped up and talk about all the guns they have. I'm just going to say from the aspect of war, it will be some of the ugliest fighting ever because it's house to house, door to door, community to community, the type fighting. Or we can pivot and completely lead in that realm of prayer and the mightiness of the sword of the spirit and leverage all of that. And I, as I always say, that is not to say there will not be a sword of a war of steel, but in the, in the sense of the lead on this, because that, that'll be God's hand where his hands become our hands like Joshua in Jericho. But, in that other side, if we would commit ourselves, which I am, and this is where it comes into, and I know you are, leaning into this and saying, okay, we are literally going to wage a war in the spirit and the fortresses and strongholds where we use weapons of the spirit. And it says so clearly, you can tear down fortresses. That's different than a stronghold. Fortresses are fortresses. It's mighty. And if we understand that, just even say those words, like, I'm going to do this. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. I'm just like, Lord, I want to go attack a fortress. <laughs> Leave me. Yeah, let's. You, you know what's so amazing is I I did learn this. I'm I'm not a soldier. Never been in uniform. Haven't gone through all the training. Just only have minor gun skills. Um, did learn how to you know, kill people with my bare hands. Just just self defense. I I don't want to, but I did learn that the whole purpose of war, right? Is there such a thing as a righteous war? There is. There is just wars. Um, you really do need to have God's authority and understanding of when that's the case. Yes. And I, I don't I don't I don't think most of man's wars are anything other than the elites trying to get resources for them. Very, very few, if any, of these things have been because just and righteousness stuff. Some, but not but very few. And I look at this and it's like, okay, the purpose of war is to destroy the enemy's capacity and the will to war. Very good. Okay. Then you can have peace. There's sometimes you're the only peace you're ever going to get is when you stop 
pump out the will to war in the enemy and you remove his means to. Then you can have peace, possibly. But if you go about this the wrong way, all you ever have is generational hatred after generational hatred, endless war, and you'll never have peace. And I do think that God, contrary to what we think, God doesn't take sides like we think. Mm -hmm. God is a just God. God is for the human race. He's in love with them. He's done everything that is needed for every one of them to be restored to relationship and to be cleansed, to be freed, to be utterly saved. And God's not willing that any would perish. But we'll see the fact that God will show up at times and it's like, you know what? War is a curse. Abraham Lincoln saw it right. It was a curse on both sides. He recognized that not until every drop of blood that has been taken by the lash of slavery has been meted out in the conflict before us, will we be free from the scourge of war? I, I mean, I, I wrote this screenplay on the life of Frederick Douglass and did deep, deep, deep dive into this and just going like, no flipping way, that man was hell-bent, Frederick Douglass, on getting slavery stopped and he single-handedly shaped the heart of Lincoln so as to see, oh my gosh. And it's like it was a plea that, Lord, have mercy on both sides. We both pray to you. We both think we're right and we're all wrong. And I'm sitting here going like the, the conflict in the Middle East. It is not the holy God with the special people of God trying to exert dominion on the less than human Palestinians. We have a whole bunch of very misguided pastor people, more so in our nation than any place else, who are very wrong on that. Very wrong. I, 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 I've done like three or four podcasts working on this space, and I'm sure I get tons of doors that are slamming because I would dare say, sorry, guys, we don't get to pretend like God's on our side. I just pray we would have the humility to get on his side of this issue. I pray that we'd have the humility to understand, hey, God, what are what's going on here? You know, it's like if this is a Luke 19 moment where you're again weeping over this situation because we don't know the things that would make for peace. God, I would really love to have some understanding of what would make for peace here so we don't miss our day of visitation so that the planet and many, many people don't perish and are left desolate. But that's happened. That's happened many times over because we did not seek him. We wanted our thing. And so we're willing to fight to it to the death. That's not good. It's good. good words. Well, let's um, tell us what's going on with Founders Bible again and where you're going with this, because I think you've got some bigger visions on this. Um. Well, the Founders Bible, I am going to do a second edition. I've already mapped out a 
120 different new articles to write. Wow. Things that don't make sense now. It's kind of like, if that's the foundation, then please explain how do we get from there to here? <laughs> and it's like, what do we do to actually apply these marvelous truths that were laid down that if we would restore, we could get there. So, you know, that's, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm barking on that. As soon as my son is back in the neighborhood living here, we're going to turn the founder's Bible into an audio book because there's more people that listen to things than actually um, read. But I think reading is so important because we engage different parts of our brain. Mm-hmm. We, you know, and so I, I just, I don't think we imprint our heart just by listening. I, I, I become open to truth, but it's when I start to work through the application and really start to, to get a mastery of it. That's when things get written on my heart. David said, you know, Thy word have I written on my heart that I might not sin against thee. You have to be digging into that. And so with the public school system being such a mess, um, we're going to develop a curriculum that would take you through the Founders Bible and take that fat, thick chicken and not make it so intimidating so that you know how to kind of walk through this and understand it. And I, I think I need help with that. I mean, honestly, I need help at every level to make these things happen. I don't have some war chest to 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 pay for all of it but i trust that these are all things that god really has put on my heart as vital important projects to be completed and so with whatever little lunch i have i'll feed whatever five thousand he will with each exchange of just going like god we're going to make this happen regardless because i think it's important it's like if the truth sets you free it's only the truth you know that sets you free that's true. You know, tr- truth has never changed. It's the truth that I apprehend and enable that. Um, I, I know we've been sort of laying a foundation for a lot of this, like what's going on in the Middle East. But I I really think that the, the thing I've seen is God has a through line throughout the entire Bible. And it's it's like he's only ever had one people. He doesn't have different racial preferences of people. And he hasn't banished the people that somehow don't read the Bible. He's been at work in other cultures in such extraordinary ways. He's drawing everybody who can even remotely see, hear, and grope in the darkness to truth. He's drawing them to him. Ultimately, I think we have the incredible gift of this Bible that it's like, guess what? Nowhere else in any book on the planet is the resident wisdom and the story of how God brings redemption to mankind. But the Bible has been kind of messed with in places. I've been asked to be uh, on the the foundation on on the board for the ISV translation, which is a phenomenal translation, like NASB 3.0. And um, and yet, there's something as precious as the very name of God, YHVH, the Tetragrammaton that in almost all of our English Bibles that's been written over, the words Lord. And and why was that? Well, the rabbis of the day, the Judaizer people, they somehow told the translators that God's name is so holy, you can't utter it. And so they call him Hashem. And I'm going like, which means the name. And I'm going like, that's a nice idea that that sounds reverent, but balderdash, it doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. 
and the first time the 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 y the yhwh name of god was given the i am was to moses and god spoke that name and revealed that name to moses when moses left there and went back to the hebrews enslaved in egypt the first thing those hebrew elders said is what's his name and if the rabbis were correct then moses would have to say can't tell you it's too holy so i'll chicken scratch it out for you which is not what happened and we have done all kinds of crazy things in the name of honoring god that are not they're not right and i'm kind of i've gone to all the other bible publishers like hey wait a minute do you know about this they do I said, then why do you why do you perpetuate this? This is not what it actually says in the Hebrew original manuscript. So why do we persist with this stupid overriding the word of YHVH as Lord in all caps? And nobody explains it. And so no one sees it. And I'm going like, why? Why are we doing that? And it's like, they're all afraid that if they change it, they're going to you know get in trouble. People will, oh, a heretic. And I'm just there like, why don't we just explain it? we're not supposed to put vowel points over it and call it Yahweh. That's what everyone does. It's like, his name is Yahweh. And so I'm like, well, no, it, it's actually not. There are not supposed to be any vowel points. If you were trying to vocalize those four letters, those consonants, you'd make the sound of a breath. And I'm going like, that's that's the most extraordinary thing I've ever learned. In my 57 years, that the name of God is a breath that means the essence of who he is. I am. I exist. The essence of him is the breath of life. He is my breath. If you want to participate on this planet in life, you have to say his name. Doesn't matter what your language is, doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter whether you understand it or not. What a total like slam dunk on Lucifer trying to <laughs> make himself all a big deal going like, guess what? Nobody participates in this thing called life without saying my name all day, all time, all of them. And the minute they stop saying my name, that's when it's game over for them. How cool is that? Why has that been hidden from us? That's just not okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna change that. We're we're gonna we're gonna get a translation of the Bible. And when they make it illegal, I will be hidden with some printing press somewhere doing the revolutionary thing that just says, uh-uh, you cannot stop the eternal word of God, and we're gonna bring it forth in all its glory so that everybody everywhere understands this. That's who he is. He does not exclude a single person. Even if you don't know him, you're saying his name and he's letting you live. He is the essence of life. That's who my God is. There's nobody else to worship. Why would I bother? You know? And then every Hebrew letter means something. And they have at the very essence and core, it's a, it's a pictorial idiomatic language and it means something and this floored me here's another reason why they decided to hide the truth from us because yhvh if you got to the essence of what those mean it is behold the hand behold the nail oh my goodness 
<laughs> wow. D- wow. D- does it does it immediately bring up the gospel? Does it immediately bring up the lamb slain before the foundation of the world? Does it immediately tell you the lamb is not a sheep? It's 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 a it's a it's a human. Wow. I mean, you're just going like, how do we not know this? This is about as criminal as it's ever been. Of all the lies I've been told that mattered, this one is the worst. Why have you hid this from us now? Why they put the word Lord over it? What's that? What's that mean? It means owner, master. It's also the same name for Baal. Oh my gosh! You okay. told me that, you told me this a while back, and I'm telling you, it has completely transformed. Oh my! my oh my gosh! I, I even the, the, it's like Judaism. Here's here's where this is. Will get us in total trouble. Judaism is the religion of the rebels who rejected God. Wow. It's not the um, they don't quite get it people. That says Jesus. That's the one group he made war to said, I will slay them. And I'm going like, wow, how, how has that been like utterly reversed so that if you were to say those very things, I'm now the declared heretic. I'm the anti. I am not anti semite I am. I am with Jesus. I will say what He says, and I will not try to go farther. I will just agree with the things that He lays out. And it, what's so amazing is this: is when you get down into the the nitty gritty of this messed up conflict over there. Everyone has used the re-establishing um, of the nation state of Israel as the sort of modern day proof of the existence of God. And somehow there's they'll, they'll walk you through their prophetic understandings of verses, put it all together, and they say, this is the proof that God's a living God and he keeps his word. And I'm going like, you're not telling the truth when you do that, when you say that. You're, you're cherry picking things unto the conclusion you want us to get. And... I, if, if if God wanted to allow the modern nation state to exist, that's fantastic. But he wouldn't have done it to the destruction and eternal war on another set of people he wants to redeem. It's just, he, he, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't say it's God and do it like the devil and pretend it's going to yield God results. It's just, you can't do that. And so anybody with a conscience is raising a flag going like something doesn't pass the smell test here. And when you dig into all of this, and this may have to be another set of shows because we've been talking for a while already. Um, You start to pull apart Jacob and Esau where this thing happened. And let me just give a teaser for what we can, you know, expound even more. The, The birthright was, then given to Abram, and he was he he was supposed to walk the whole land. The whole issue of the land is tied to after Abram leaves, you know, he's leaving Nimrods. He he comes and um oh, let me just tell this part because this is this is brilliant. He's raised by Noah and Shem. We learn that in in um in Jasher. And then at, I think he's at age 40, he comes back. And he comes back to Nimrod's camp 
and he's meant to get his dad and he's meant to go to a land that God will show him. But he has to show back up. When he shows back up, Nimrod kind of realizes, uh, Tara, I guess you didn't do the honest sacrifice of your child. There's your son. And what's going on? And he perceives a threat to his throne. And so he commands Abram and Haran, his brother, to be thrown into a fiery furnace. Abram's brother is burnt to a crisp and ashes in front of him. While Abram's in the fire, nothing touches him. Everyone's seeing this. It's kind of like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story. And you're just going like, serious? Wow. Abram comes out of the fire, <laughs> kicks Nimrod's ass. <laughs> I'm serious. Jashir is like so cool. Go like, I got to turn this into a movie. This is amazing. Comes out, kicks Nimrod's ass, and then 300 of the best assassins of the army of Nimrod going like, <laughs> we're going with Abraham. <laughs> wow. That's where Abram gets his army, his trained soldiers. Wow. They're defectors from the kingdom of Nimrod. Nimrod's left going like, I better make peace with this guy because he just destroyed me. He didn't kill me. I just go like, wow, Abraham, father of faith. That is pretty stunning. Uh -huh. You could have killed him. Maybe you should have. I don't know. But he didn't because I think he's walking with the Prince of Peace. And he goes off to the land. He scopes out the land and God says, I will give to you the land where the sole of your foot, everywhere the sole of your foot treads. So there's the promise of the land. Okay. Mm -hmm. Pretty amazing. Yeah. And then, then somehow we get down to the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when we get to Isaac, who's, you know, it's like, um, Isaac has two boys. They're wrestling in the womb. One of them sticks his fist out in the midst of, you know, the, the, the birth. It's like, I can't imagine for Rebecca, that was very fun. <laughs> you just go like, sticks his hand. They tie a little red thing around him. And then they're back in wrestling. And out pops Esau as the firstborn. And then Jacob is the secondborn. And then there's a prophetic word that the older will serve the younger. And Jacob's the one I, I think that has, you know, identified as the red tag on him, I, I think. I, I I don't think I have that reverse, but I, I might. But it, it, to me, it's not as consequential. What you have is you have two boys that grow up in the same house. And Isaac is the birthright covenants with him. And he then, you know, it's like they're two different boys. Esau's this mighty hunter. Jacob's this little like mama's boy in the kitchen. He's he doesn't have much hair on his hand, and and Esau is some hairy oaf. Esau is such a great and mighty hunter. That guess what? In Jasher, we learn that Nimrod starts to be threatened because Nimrod's a mighty hunter of souls. So Nimrod is looking at Esau, and he's going like, "This is the grandson of Abram who kicked my ass and." made a mockery of me, I got to take this guy out. 
So Nimrod stalks Esau when he's out hunting. Esau realizes I'm being hunted by the great mighty Nephilim king hunter of souls. And he's got two of his best assassins with him. And so Esau is sitting there going like, oh no. Somehow Esau brings Nimrod, coaxes him out of the, 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 the shadows into this open plain, and then does something that no one would ever expect. He runs right at Nimrod and chops off his head. He kills the Nephilim king. Wow. And then the two assassins battle him for the next two days. And Esau's fighting for his last breath in life. He bests them too. He kills them. He's exhausted. He's been in the fight of his life. But what does he get off of Nimrod's body? The skins. From Adam and Eve. That the, 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 the raiment that Adam and Eve were clothed. And I'm sitting there going, this is not some fancy, like goofy tale. This is, this is, and guess what? He comes home exhausted, having fought for his life. Comes up home and his younger, he asks his younger brother, you got anything to eat? The mighty hunter comes back with no venison, no, it's like he can kill anything. But he comes back empty handed this time. His little younger brother says, "Yeah, I'll give you my soup, but give me your birthright." <laughs> you punk! Wow. Why, why would you? Why would you do that? To, that's. I've always wondered what is the deal. Why did? Why did Esau just give up his birthright? Why wouldn't? Why? It, it's not like Esau some terrible, you know, rotten child from the womb. No, no, he's not. And. This whole verse that, you know, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. We have that translated poorly. That's wrong. God doesn't hate anyone from the womb. They're just, that's not God. That's not the living God. Well, my, my Bible says that. Your English Bible says that. It's poorly translated. So we end up with this, God loves the Jacob line. He hates the Esau line. Why? Oh, he's just God. It's his prerogative to do that. There's a, there's a law that says you cannot disinherit the firstborn unless they do something that is worthy of that. Esau didn't do anything that made him disinheritable. But his younger brother tricked him. His younger brother's name means deceiver, supplanter. Just saying. <laughs> you just go like, okay. His younger brother tricks him out of his birthright. Why does he do such a thing? He has a prophetic word that says the older brother is going to serve me and dad's just about to give the birthright to you. I don't I know that that shouldn't happen. That's that's going against the prophecy the way I understand it. I'm supposed to get the birthright. But Esau hasn't done anything to disinherit himself from that. But mom knows the prophetic word and she's lining up with the mama's boy and going like, yeah, we got to deceive your dad. Uh, excuse me. Nowhere in the Bible does it says good idea. Nice going, Rebecca. Nice going, Jacob. They go before Isaac 
And they put, of all things, what do they do? They put skins on to pretend to be something that he's not. Isaac is dim in his eyes and he looks at him and says, is, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob, yes. His little, yes. <laughs> He's going like, are you really? Yes. <laughs> it feels like Esau. Doesn't sound and look like Esau. Dad, just eat the venison. <laughs> and they trick Isaac. What's wrong with Isaac if he's one of, he's he's a picture of the child of promise, the supernatural child of promise. Is he so unspiritual that God hates his older son and Isaac doesn't know that? If God hated him, Isaac's a doofus for liking him. I, I, I'm sorry, when I read the Bible, I'm looking at it like, something's not, Something's not squaring here, not with the not with the essence of God that I know. And he doesn't have prejudice. He's a righteous judge. That is so important to understand that he is impartial. If you haven't done anything wrong, he doesn't have an issue with you. If you have done something wrong, it doesn't matter what your pedigree is. He has issue with you. We've lost that. We somehow think we get a pass just because I wear the badge Christian. Or the other kids wear the bad Jewish. No, not not even. And so when Esau comes, they both have a profound, broken, tearing moment of going. Esau, Isaac realizes he's been deceived by his own son and wife. And now Esau realizes. You mean there's no blessing for me? I get that he kind of despised his birthright and 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 didn't think it was important because he was holding the skins that said he was the king of the earth. I'm going to I'm going to be a little compassionate for his lack of real judgment because those skins don't mean a thing compared to the spiritual reality of truth. You're not going to say, "Well, but I got the skins." It's like, "I'm sorry, that's a symbol." The substance is what you gave up. That's what we do. We'll hold to a form of godliness and deny the power therein, thinking that somehow because I've got the religious little rituals, I'm okay. No, you're not. I, I that's that's right in there, which is profound. But what's amazing is Isaac realizes this isn't okay. I can't I can't get back what I've already given. I've given the birthright. I've already prayed that prayer. I can't like, oh God, forget that. I didn't mean it. No, I did it. And it's also there is the prophetic word that says the older will serve the younger. That's he also knows that and he realizes, wow, something may be happening here that is above my pay grade of understanding, but it doesn't seem right. And so what he says just after that moment is he does say to Esau, there will be a time when dominion returns to you and you will be free from the yoke. Because what? He knows what's happened here is wrong. 
it's unjust. I have given the blessing, the birthright to the younger and the older will serve the younger. But it was done through deception and fraud. Not okay. God is not okay with that. And therefore Esau will have a season of time where he will have the birthright back. It's not explained when, not explained how, but at some point Esau will have the birthright back. And then he'll be responsible for what he does with it and how he'll be judged by it. So if he doesn't do it, it'll be taken from him, just like it's true from anybody else who walks this out. If you don't handle it right, you will forfeit it and it will be taken from you and given to another. And we don't read it that way. We don't know all that stuff. So when we... And so Esau is in this position of going like, wait a minute, my brother defrauded and snaked me of my birthright. And I didn't do anything to lose my birthright. I, I've, this, is, this is fraud. This is wrong. So both have a claim in their mind, justifiable in their mind of the birthright. And Esau doesn't have it. And it will have to be the servant of the younger. But he knows there will be a time where I will have it back. And I, I said this was a teaser. It wasn't. It was a longer explanation. But I, but, but I think it's important because it is what's going on over in the Middle East. The, the modern nation state of Israel is more likely to be either the descendants of Amalek or the Edomites, which are the tribe of Esau. And they're the ones who are in power. And I think that they have gotten back in power as Esau now has dominion in that particular land that was stolen from him. And what you have is this crazy reversal. Jacob got the birthright by pretending to be Esau. And he defrauded his brother of that birthright, but it was in it was in you know deceit. And now you have Esau, his descendants, pretending to be Jacob to steal it back. I mean, I, I'm I'm serious. This blew my mind when all of a sudden it's like serious. Could this actually be the case? And I've got like twenty pages of notes of walking this through in terms of how that is probably the the truth of the measure. The word Jew comes from the tribe of Judah. The word Israel comes from the northern 10 tribes. Because Solomon was such a mess and and, and again I we we probably need to do this as other 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 shows. But Solomon is the one that took all of the united tribes of Israel into Baal and Molech sacrifice worship child sacrifice we we, we don't like to think about that but when David said hey I want to build you a temple God's response to David's yearning and desires is thanks that's a really nice idea but I don't want one I don't need one I like camping out with my people so we end up with David saying, but I want I want you to have one. So God acquiesces and allows David to, to, to sort of draft up the plans 
But he said, because you're a man of what? War. You don't get to build my temple. I'll let your son do it. But it's not that he wanted it. See, I don't, I, I don't think we understand. It's like somehow God never wanted them to have a king. He warned them saying, if you do, this is what it's going to be like. So we want a king. God says, I don't think you do. We end up with a king. God brings all the nation of, you know, the Exodus generation to Mount Sinai. He says, I want to speak to y'all direct. And they're all, they're going like, uh, that's too scary. We want Moses to, to be the go between. So how about Moses, you go talk to God and you tell us what he says, and then we'll do everything that you, you tell us. And so we end up with the priesthood. God didn't want the priesthood. He wanted to speak to each and every one of us direct. And then we have the temple. We want to be like the other nations. We want to have our buildings and our monuments. And do I want to feel powerful? And and God's like, I don't really want that. So we end up with kings, priests, and temples as our expression of faith, none of which God wanted. Wow. We need to do another show on this because you've got the notes, and I really want to go deep. So let's... Um... We'll find a time later this week, maybe, if you're around. That'd be good. I, I, I am. I, I I just, this is like trying to condense the entire Bible into a handful of, of segments where I'm going like, this is broad, straw, you know, like swipes on the whole thing. But what it does, but I Brad, think it's, it, I think it's an important narrative that we, we understand because we're doing a lot of stuff that is going in the wrong direction. Well, I, I think what's so important about the story, and why I want to go deeper on it in another show and soon, <clears throat> is that it gets us back to a biblical lens on the world, and we're just not doing it because we've been missing pieces. And you've been doing the research, so let's let's get that done. Great show today. Love having you on. It's awesome. A lot in there. There's a lot. This will be this will be a two. Like getting a drink from a fire hose. My apologies. No, no, no. This is this is a two parter, and they can listen to it multiple times. I will be too. That'll that's the best part. I'm gonna let you close our prayer today. Let's do it. Okay. Hey God, you are doing something in the earth, and we do not want to miss it. I think what's presently happening is probably causing your heart to weep because it's destroying a lot of people that are they're not they're they're innocent victims in a different mess and god i pray for the peace of that whole region and frankly our planet because god i don't think there's anybody that's not going to get pulled into this but i i pray that you would help us and all over the planet really seek you and find you and somehow get free from the curse of war and the anger and the heart that destroys each other. And Lord, this is such a tangled mess and it's already in motion. I ask for your angels to be released to just sort of restrain this moment from spiraling out of control. And would you cause many, many voices that know you and understand you to somehow, would you cause their voice to be heard and light to be light, light to shine 
And then in the midst of darkness, God, would you reveal yourself in your people so that the world caught in darkness can actually see what it looks like to have a relationship with the living God. This is the Isaiah 60 stuff, Lord. We're supposed to rise and shine for the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. And Lord, I, I ask, would you cause kings and queens, those who are in places of rulership with the levers of power, would you cause them to come to those that have the brightness of your appearing? And would you cause wisdom and a way forward that brings redemption, healing, and restoration to everybody. We don't have to go down the enemy's rabbit hole and what they want to take man fatally unto. God, I want to walk and talk with you in the cool of the day. And Lord, I want to see you. You, you, you say at some point the whole earth will be displaying the glory of God. Would you cause that to happen wherever you have a responsive heart that's saying, God, I want what you want for us, not what we do. And somehow out of the multitude of what we've been talking about and, and, and other stuff that we can share, would you cause truth to emerge that will let us see what's really going on so that we don't um, fall prey to the enemy's plans? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Great prayer. Thank you. It's a good show, man. That was good. So much. Amen. We will set up a time for a follow-on because I want to get deep into what you were just doing. You got the notes. You got the receipts. Let's bring it. Yeah. it's it's. Um, I think what's crazy is any way you slice who's in power in Israel, God may have a justice to it, but if they misbehave, he's got prophetic words about Edom and Edomites that just say, you're going to get wiped off the face of the earth because you're given to violence wow. and you're doing stuff. And I think who, who are the real people that, that are there? I think they're revealing themselves as having the spirit of Esau. Mm. I think they actually have the genetics of it. And I think God doesn't hate Esau. It's it's weird. It's like in in his disinherited place, it's like he's a hated person. Because he did nothing to deserve being disinherited. That's like in a hated outcome. Mm -hmm. And God, when he says, Jacob, I've loved. Esau, I have hated Esau. Hated Esau is like a modifier of the position that Esau's in. And God says, I have him. Wow. I will be the righteous judge. I will deal with him. Nobody else gets to do this. What was done to him is wrong. So I'm going to let him have the birthright for a season. And then I will evaluate and judge him accordingly. And if he does wrong with it, everyone thinks that's the special chosen people got. And no, uh, and that's that's what we got to get past. So, so have a blessed Saturday, man. Thank you, dude. All right, I'm gonna go listen to Chris Reed again, and I think he's gonna mess this up. So I gotta straighten him out. <laughs> I told you before that you 
you don't want to hear it, but I've told you before who's the head of that council, and I mean it, and we'll talk more about that. We'll, we'll call you the wise the wise sage for now, but we know where your your seat should be. It's good. Well, I, I don't I don't even think that that little council matters. Um, I think those are friends of mine that have been steeped in what all of us have been. And I think the cool thing that gives me hope is God is causing us to stumble upon things that we do need to see. Yeah. That I don't think it's like, oh, I'm so smart. It's like, no, I, I, I stumbled upon this and I'm going like, oh, my lands. <laughs> I think we have this wrong. Yeah, that's true. It's good. <laughs> and, but I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's showing me that God's committed to walking us through this. Yeah. And if I've learned anything, it's every time we try to help God out and help a prophetic thing happen, but we don't do it with the instructed wisdom of, hey, God, what am I supposed to do? When we try to do it, we will screw it up. Without a doubt. That's 100%. And it's kind of like, wow, I don't think I've understood that as much as I do now. 30 years. So I'm kind of like, hey, whatever you've said over my life, you please do that <laughs> and send me the memo that I'm looking for that tells me what I'm supposed to do in partnership with that because it will be a partnership. You do have things for me to do. I just am not going to do it and try to make it happen in the way I think. That's good. That's good. Partnership. I'm going to think I'll, I'll focus on that one. That's a good word. Real good word. Brad, love All right, you, man. man. Talk to you soon, man. Bless you. Okay, bye. Well, Patriots, that was Pastor Brad Cummings. It's always a pleasure to have him on the show. A lot to say and a lot to process. So take it all in if you have time. Re-listen to much of this because there's so much information. It's one of these things that really changes our optics on a lot of the way the world works and really re-anchors us in the importance of a scriptural foundation and a biblical lens as we look at modern events. So Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, 
Therefore, they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. 